Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I'm Clark Coffey, and with me, as always, is Mr. Cullen McFader. What's going hello. on? Hello, hello. hello. Yeah. I, I, I am, ex- dude, this is, okay, this is going to be a cool one. This is going to be, because here, here's what I think is unique about th- this episode today and the movie we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have covered, now maybe I'm wrong, my memory's bad. Remember, I'm old, everybody, especially compared to Cullen. But I don't know if we've if we've ever talked about such a broadly commercially successful film before, have we? We this, discussed E.T. I think would be the closest. Oh, did we do E.T.? Yeah, okay, we did well, E.T. in our Spielberg. It was the first, but that would be I think the closest. And even then, I no, think e- that okay, E.T. was close. Okay, yeah, so we're gonna yeah. so we're gonna talk about uh, a film. I think E.T. is on parallel with this. Actually, I think these two films are very closely relatable as far as critical and commercial impact cultural mm-hmm. like touchstone when they were released so without further ado i'll just go ahead and, and say the movie i'm just trying to build suspense you know i just want to <laughs> but but this is this is cullen's pick today and we're going to be discussing james cameron's 1997 film titanic take a journey back in time in search of a mystery locked beneath the sea this january you will be given the key we're going to america i forget it boy you'll never get next to the likes of her don't come any closer no, you won't. You are not to see that boy again. I'm the king of the world! That made you think you could put your hands on my fiance. It's not up to you to save me, Jack. He's got you trapped. If you don't break free, you're gonna die. It's a ship. There's only so many places she can be. Find her. And yeah. I, I, this is going to be really fun to me because I think this film, not only is it an interesting film, I think, to discuss uh, now that we've got, what, you know, 25 years later in mm-hmm. hindsight to kind of look at it. It was such a it just as, you know, the film itself, um, the, the storytelling, the technical aspects, but um, the, its cultural significance and kind of talk about how cinema compares and its cult- cultural relevancy from then to now. 
Um, and I've got a little jealousy of you, I've got to admit, because you just went to go see this at the theater, right? And it's like 3D yeah. re-release. last you night just... I saw it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the, the second 3D re-release that I've seen of it, because the last one was for the 100th anniversary of the ship okay. Now so supposedly this is like a this is like a like a 4K remaster, right? I mean, supposedly mm-hmm. is this is a different remaster than the original 3D release. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. I mean it's been so long since I've seen. Obviously, you couldn't it's been remember yeah. 11 years, but I I it it looked good. <laughs> what can I okay, say? Okay, <laughs> well, so and I'm so I'm curious, you know, because we're going to start as we always do on kind of our own personal experiences with the film. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of interesting that you know I saw this film on its original theatrical release. Uh, I saw it in December near Christmas in 1997. So it had already been in theaters for about a month by the time I saw it. I was in college at the time, and I'd come back home and, for Christmas break, and I mm-hmm. saw it over Christmas break with my family in the theater. And so I was, you know, knee deep in the, the just it, this was everywhere in the culture at the time. I mean, it, you cannot overstate how culturally pervasive anything titanic was and especially this film at that time but mm-hmm. you of course weren't even born yet yeah yeah and and so you've but you've got to experience it in the theater now a couple times all these years well later. I, so, I i always joke because it it technically you know i i was in i was my mom was pregnant with me when she saw us in the theater so i technically okay. was there <laughs> for it i was you I were was technically the, there yeah. i was in the theater um mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's funny because normally when we talk about these things, we kind of discuss our first time seeing it. And uh-huh. I don't remember my first time. I mean, I remember this being a huge part of my childhood. Now, I, now obviously I, um, in the womb, you don't remember, but you're yeah. saying that there was another viewing. No, I'm re- sure because I had the, <laughs> the double VHS as a kid. Yeah. Um, and I probably. Now, did your again, parents have that? that? Did your parents have yes. that? Or did yeah, you? Yeah. Okay, I, okay. I likely wore the tape out. I. I um, but like I, it just is one of those movies that I've always seen. So you it was one of those things that I remember. I used to go to Blockbuster as a kid and see Jack or see Leonardo DiCaprio on another movie and say that's Jack Dawson and like I was that was how. <laughs> and I mean I don't know if this is a I I've never really understood if this was a normal thing, yeah, like kind of like a dinosaurs thing where every kid's into them or if it was I was just weird or something. But I was so into Titanic as a kid too. I ha- I probably still have it somewhere. But I I had this like the actual the, like not just the, the ship, movie but yeah, like the yeah. actual ship. And I the had sinking, one of the first yeah. um one of the first Christmas presents I remember like from memory getting was this Titanic model that you could actually put in the water and if you put it you switched <laughs> a thing sink. on the bottom and it could sink and split in half and everything and. <laughs> It was actually a really cool model that, I don't know, I, I remember, I, I'm sure I still have it somewhere, but yeah, you could kind of flip a switch and have it that in sounds so morbid. the regular mode where it wouldn't sink and the hole would fi- like fill in on the side. And then you, and could, then you could like, you could put you, some ice uh, in your yeah. bathtub and have it hit an ice Pretend cube. It, and and then... you would watch it sink and it would split, yeah, the, it would do the whole up and split in half and all that was, it was and, it, and it neat. made it and there was like a little speaker inside that made like screaming sounds of all the yeah, poor people and, uh, dying oh my gosh yeah, yeah. this sounds horrible color <laughs> but yeah oh, and no. i i remember i used to go like i mean i went to as a kid my mom's from newfoundland and of course titanic sunk off the coast of newfoundland and so there's a big museum there mm-hmm. there's big there's the cemetery where all the bodies were um recovered and buried is in halifax and so i went there as a kid my mom um i don't i don't i'm paraphrasing slightly because i don't remember the exact relationship but uh, i know my mom i think my mom's friend is the son of one of the people who was on the first expedition to that actually found the wreck Mm -hmm. so i have you know a lot of 
growing up, I was, I mean, I made Titanic Lego movies. I made, I was like so into oh, the wow. idea and beyond okay. just the scope so of James were... Cameron's movie. So, okay. Yeah. So this is a big part of your childhood. You, you, yeah. you grew up, you, you had this on home video, which of course at the time was VHS. You love the film. You've watched it a ton of times and, mm -hmm. and, and you feel like you've got like, not like this kind of family connection and this geographic connection. And so Sounds like this is something that was like a pretty big part of your childhood, actually. Oh, definitely. This, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. wow. Up, and right up until like probably until I was in middle school, so which would have been around 20, 2009 ish. So yeah, so young, so young. Yeah, in your young so childhood. quite quite a long time too after the movie had had come out. But what's funny about it too is that I mean I remember um, it was never it never felt like I was liking something niche. I mean like it was still despite the fact that it came out in theaters you know seven months before I was born. 10 years on, I remember all of my friends had still seen it. They all loved it. It was still yeah. a highly regarded still movie huge, yeah. to kids who weren't, weren't even alive when it came out. Um, I remember seeing the first re-release in 2012 on the exact, it was 100 years exactly to the day that mm -hmm. uh, the, the ship sank. And I saw it in theaters and the theater was packed. Um, you know, there was like, everyone was crying at the end. It was kind of funny <laughs> that this, this, you know, at that point, 14 or so year old movie had made everyone cry. But yeah, and last night when I saw it, it's at the tail end. So I was pretty much alone in the theater with, with two friends. But, um, yeah, I, I heard that when this, when the re-release, this most recent re-release just happened, I'm hurt. I heard that it was pretty successful, that theaters were pretty packed. So it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's fascinating that there's, that there's this, you know, of course, Avatar has come out since then. And those, those obviously both of them have been pretty massive movies, but, um, it is funny to me that that I kind of look at Titanic as this sort of final huge event picture in a lot of ways that that sure, wasn't I, yeah. this like massive corporate amalgamation of like IP and and uh, well, you know pre-existing material and things like that. Yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, I you know having lived in that era, so like I said, I, I saw it on its first release in the theaters. I haven't seen it at a theater since then, so I didn't make either of the two re-releases. Although I would have liked to have seen it this time around, I wasn't able to. Um, so this most recent viewing I saw on the Blu-ray release that I have, it's not been released on UHD yet. Unfortunately, I'm guessing that's coming soon since mm -hmm. they remastered it for 4K for this new theatrical release. Um, so, but, but I mean, I remember, yeah, it was just this over everything Titanic. I mean, Titanic was just, it, it was, it, again, like I say, it's just, it's impossible to really overstate what cultural significance this film had. And I think that's going to be a really interesting part of this discussion we'll have today is not just the film on its own merits, but, and what we think now watching it, uh, in 2023, uh, just as a standalone film, but you know, if you you look at box office, top box office adjust, for you know adjusted for inflation, and this is really kind of the, if not the last, one of the last uh, huge blockbuster films that really sent ripple ripples throughout the entire culture. It was in you know it was theatrical it was theatrically showing for ten months like wide wide theatrical mm -hmm. release for ten months. That's that's insane. That's unheard of huge films don't do that to this day yeah, um yeah. you know it still sits i think in you know numbers are tough so people out there if you're like wait 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 i looked this up and it's not exactly you know there's different if you go to different sites you'll kind of see some different kind of ways that people tabulate box, box office but mm -hmm. uh it's about it sits at about number five for overall top box office rank and the films before it are like 1939's gone with the wind 77 yeah. Star Wars, 65 Sound of Music, 82 E.T. So it's right there with E.T. Mm -hmm. um, 
you have to, you know, the next film, the first film that's in top, top box office that that's even in that's in the two thousands at all, uh, is the seventh Star Wars film. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's a film that you know, ten years since the last Star Wars release, it's this gigantic IP, and here's the seventh sequel. And it breaks in at number eleven on all time. Well, and even I mean, even Avatar is what uh, I think three point eight billion Avatar- or something adjusted for inflation. Uh, I um, you know, it's so depending on what you look at, basically depends that, on what you look at. Yeah. Avatar sits at fifteen, so that's actually okay. so Avatar sits at number fifteen. Its adjusted lifetime gross is eight hundred ninety million. What I've got here. Again, oh, that would be domestic. Yeah. This okay. is well, yeah. it, so that's a good point. It doesn't specify, so that's where I said some of this. So the point is not get hung up on the exact numbers, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. my point is kind of. Um, and yes, I, I would think that this is probably domestic for North America because I don't know that Gone with the Wind played, you know, globally at that time, at the time in 39 mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. But um, but I guess the point is just that, you know, for, for original IP, for a non-sequel film, um, we just this just doesn't happen anymore. You don't, yeah. you know. Uh, well, even, I mean, the song was huge, like the song. Yeah. Oh, was, yeah. Celine Dion's, Dion's, you know. music was... It was gigantic. Yeah. That was a huge hit that propelled her career. You have, you know, Leo was an up and comer at this point in time, but this like shot him into the stratosphere from movie mm-hmm. stardom. Uh, of course, Kate Winslet has had an extraordinary career. Of course, James Cameron, you know, this goes without yeah. saying. He's yeah. one of the biggest box office directors in the history of cinema. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think this really speaks to a, a cultural, like a huge cultural shift where uh, back in 97, uh, cinema was still a cornerstone of our culture. And, mm-hmm. you know, for this film, grandmas, grandpas, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, kids, you know, everybody went to go see this film and everybody loved it. Mm-hmm. And and like you had just said, that, that, re- that 10 years later, kids, young kids were discovering it and loving it. Um, so... I just you don't see that anymore. I don't think you know even big movies, supposedly big movies today, they just don't have the same kind of cultural impact. The, cin- the cinema's place in culture has just changed. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you yeah. think? As as somebody who's twenty years younger than me, you know, you've kind of experienced Titanic's cultural impact kind of after the fact, kind of the the ripples from it. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously we have Marvel movies, you have Star Wars movies, but they're these giant IPs. I just I don't feel like it's a uh, it's really a comparison. I just don't think we have cinema like this anymore. It's just not. No, part yeah, of the, I, I think yeah. that um, I think that there's a, there's a number of things that that have changed it, and I think one of those is is you know the again not to to get into politics, but I think the the um, failing Uh-oh. of like antitrust re- legislation. Um, that you in know, what way? Was, what do you? Tell well, me now the the industry is is nearly monopolized by three or four massive corporations, right? And so you got, and how do you I mean, feel like that impacts? Like, because I, I you don't just know have lack was... when you have when you have corporate interests overtake artistic interests. Which I mean, of course, filmmaking has always been a business, and it's always been about making money. But yeah, in the very least, there was a guise in in days of old where where there was a a you know a director and a chair making a passion project ah. of, of their own. And nowadays you see, I would say, you know, nine of the I 10 top going. box office movies of the last 10 years have been films where even though they have directors, you're not, you know, I wouldn't describe Iron Man 3 as, I don't even know who the director was. Yeah. I, I wouldn't describe, 
you know, even the Rousseau brothers who kind of helmed the the big Avengers finale. Well, those films back. are like television. Those films well, are exactly. like television They're serials now. By, the, by, the, by and large, the, yeah. The, it's the director is not the the prime mover of the creative force yeah. in those projects yeah. like television would be. I see what you're saying. I I don't I I I might disagree with you a little bit in that you know I I mean Titanic was clearly made to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I I don't think there's been a huge amount of change between '97 and now as far as the the corporate structure of studios. I mean I I think it's continued to go more in the direction that you hint to. So that's you know we've certainly. Consolidation has certainly occurred, but I, I think it might have, a, in my opinion, a little more to do with just the technology uh, and how that's impacted audiences. I think uh, in '97 we started to see this, but but now we're we're you know we're so far along in the trend where it's just who goes to theaters? Why would you go to theater? You know, we've got streaming, you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are just, we're just used to sitting on our butts in our own living rooms on our couch in front of our 65, I mean, you know, it's like, and that's kind of what I mean too, is that, that I think that the big push for streaming comes from that same corporate, you know, I don't think that, I don't think streaming was necessarily inevitable. I think that it was more so a thing that, oh, um, interesting. I think you improve the theatrical experience and put out better movies. And I think people are going to find their way to the movie theater again um hmm. you know because the same thing happened in the 50s when you think about it with television even though of course television was always a step below with definition and things like that but there was a huge loss in revenue for for film uh and theatrical showings when when television re- was released and the response was eh. i you know i i think that television actually did have uh, a permanent impact on the relevance of cinema it did it you know it, it obviously cinema didn't die uh, clearly, but I think it was it was just it's been a series of many steps, and so I think that television was the beginning of that of of mm-hmm. cinema's demise. Um, and then we have just a continual progression of of being a, the technology that allows us to watch uh, more and more content at a higher and higher quality in our homes. Obviously, the the pandemic had a huge impact on the habits of people going to see cinema. Obviously, that's much more recent, but you know you've got you know, VHS, moving to DVD, moving to Blu-ray, moving to UHD. You have the prices dropping just insanely on large, high-definition and 4K televisions, and the quality of those are always improving. The audio is always improving. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to break the bank to get 5.1 or even more uh, audio in your home. And so, and now, of course, with streaming, you don't even have physical media that you have to buy there's you know there's more and, and if we just narrow it down specifically to film but of course there's so much more competing with cinema outside of that uh we haven't even talked about video games and the proliferation mm-hmm. of that medium <clears throat> the amount of time people are spending playing video games instead of watching uh uh movies so i think all of these are just like they're continual steps and i think there's a lot of people now who've grown up and they just they don't even have any history of the communal theater experience is just not a part of their life. It was never a part of their life. And so when you talk to people who've never really had that be something, they don't even know what they're missing. They're mm-hmm. like, why would I go to a theater? Why would I pay $15 for a ticket, <clears throat> overpriced popcorn or whatever, for a and, dim bulb ha- and-, <laughs> and have to fight all this stuff? And they're like, the yeah. picture quality is not even better than what I've got at home. Yeah. You know, so many of these theaters And I think have- that's the shame is that it, it can be, you know, like you've got... You've got this thing that's designed to be the pristine film. You know, every director 
regardless of whether they're working for streaming, their their desire would be to have their movie seen on a big screen. I, I don't know any director who says, you know, I I would care less for a theatrical release, like if it was offered to them. Um, and so the shame to me is that you've got this this total, you know, lack of of incentive on the part of also like large theater chains in terms of like they're just like, well, we'll just show churn out the superhero movies and, and have that be everything and you're getting this total lack of interest on the part of most audiences because they're like well yeah you're you're the bulb is dim um you know the even most projectors at a you know here our big theater chain is cineplex but amc equivalent in the states um the projectors usually are, are only 2k anyway um sure and so yeah it's it's definitely a matter of of i think when you go to, you know, when I go to a really good screening of a movie, um, be it at the Tiff Bell Lightbox or some kind of, you know, independent theater that actually puts a lot of care into their projection, the quality of their projectors, and, and you know, maybe they show something on film, or if even if it's in um, digital, it's, it's a, a really bright bulb, the screen is beautiful, and, and it's perfectly calibrated and stuff like that. You know, that to me is, I think, where the theater experience is sort of headed and I think that's you know sort of unfortunate that there's this kind of mass mass adoption is kind of going away in a lot of ways like like well I, think, I would yeah. even say I don't think I don't think that but we, we've digressed a lot here yeah. <laughs> we yeah. are going to get back to the movie but I but I, I don't think it has anything to do with technology though in the theater I doesn't have it doesn't have to do with 2k or 4k or digital projection or it, I don't think any of that actually matters and I'm not even a film purist. I don't think it has anything to do with theaters going from digital from film to digital. I actually don't think any of that actually matters. What I think is that it's the it's the communal experience that is the difference between seeing a a, a, a film, a movie in a theater, and watching it at home. That is the difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, in my opinion, we have there more and more people have lost the habit and have lost the taste or have never established the habit, have never developed a taste for the communal viewing experience. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Because I've been in theaters that were crap, you know, as far as visual and audio presentation, but it was an absolute blast because the audience was there. They were fans. They were there to see the movie. They were pumped, excited. I was like just having this discussion with people about, for example, the new Beverly in in los angeles quentin's theater and there was like a certain contingency of people on social media that were like i don't get it you know it's like the the picture quality is not great the screen's not really huge they show these older 35 millimeter prints they're not you know of course if you've grown up on digital this is not pristine and they're like i just don't get it you know this is like this is what's the big deal and I just was kind of surprised, but it reminded me because I'm like, to me, it's not the size of the screen or the quality of the sound or the quality of the image or any of these things. It's the communal experience. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, think the, the, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so that's to bring us back to Titanic. Yeah, yeah. It was this huge cultural communal experience that that film represented. Mm-hmm. Whether you love the film, whether you hate the film, whether you think it was great or whatever, it was this shared cultural experience. Yes, and I think yeah. that's what we've moved away from. And I think there's, there are many, many aspects. There are many reasons for that. And we that, that would be a whole anthropological, Episode. you know, <laughs> I mean, well, it would be, and it's beyond, I mean, we'd have to get some social scientists in here, yeah, and some psychologists yeah. and some, Well, you and know, I think um, you know, the last thing that I'll say specifically about, about like theatrical 
screenings too, and 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 this this does relate to the um, you know Titanic and when it came out and stuff like that is also like I think yes the the communal aspect is a massive part of that. There's nothing like seeing a movie in a packed room, and that's that's the core. Um, but I think one of the things is like of course the New Beverly. That's that's a niche independent cinema that specializes in a specific audience. You know that's yep. not a you're not going out with the family to see whatever latest picture is going up. Um, and I think the difference between when Titanic came out and Titanic was the, that era was very much, you know, that early, late nineties, early two thousands was kind of the end of this era where there mm-hmm. was a huge, not only was there that communal aspect that, that audiences were going and you had a big you know community of a theater, but at the same time, that audience was there because the best quality you could get at home was VHS, right? So there was a huge element that there was a difference in what you were be what you were able to see in a theater. And, and nowadays, I think that's because fair. there's been kind of a drop off of. So I think I think it's kind of a yin and yang in a way. Like it's like one kind of it's begets part the other. of it. Yeah, the, yeah. The, it, the community is the core, but I think the reason that community stopped going was because well, why why go when I can I can see something. Of equal, yeah. if not better, quality at home, right? And there's so, and that's exactly right. And there's so many, and, and pricing, you know, ticket pricing, all these kind of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. all a part of it. It's a, there are many, many aspects. I think, and many we haven't even touched on here. Uh, many business, you know, very specific business and industry uh, issues, cultural issues, just technological issues. There's a lot of reasons why, but overall <laughs> our thesis for this past 25 minutes is just i think this what's really interesting about this film is that it really is i think it sits at this huge precipice of it's a time you know, capsule a lot of major ways. Yeah. change in in cinema so all that having been said all of this context having been discussed let's actually talk a little bit about the movie yes. so yeah. yeah uh so, so it was interesting i mean i'm curious uh how long had it been since you'd seen the movie i'm assuming you you just watched it right not assuming you told me like yesterday mm-hmm. right or the day before yeah you last night the, yeah how long had it been since you'd seen it before probably that? two years or so i mean it's not a movie i watch very frequently but i i but that's I fresh had seen that's, it two okay. years ago uh, that's fresh. So I'm, before like, then, it would probably had been like ten years. So okay, yeah, it had been a while for me. I watched it last night at home. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> and uh, and it was it was an interesting experience. I'm curious, like what what were some of your first impressions? Now it hasn't been too long since you've seen it, so mm-hmm. you know maybe nothing was kind of like a revelation or a surprise or any change of your opinion. But I'm curious, like what are your general overall thoughts on how the film holds up? You know. All these yeah. years later. Um, well, I think that the one thing that Cameron does that's really genius in it is is he the way that he frames the film around contemporary yeah. account. So um, that stood out that, to me too. I was yeah, surprised. like that rather I was... than what I think most biopics would do, or not biopics, of course, not, they're not real people, but like historical dramas, historical mm-hmm. epics. They just, you know, they're in that era and that's it. Boom. Whereas I think the sort of genius thing that, 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 and this is a really commercial sensibility that Cameron has, is that he understands that no matter how relatable you make these two characters in 1912, they're still going to be for young audiences, for, for you know, these 13, 14, 15-year-olds that you do want to get in the theater, there's still going to be a little bit of a cu- cultural disconnect between... Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's old fashioned. This stuff's old, so old fashioned. You know, I know I I grew up knowing people who thought that movies were literally shooting real life and would be like, "How did the cameraman survive in the water?" Oh so my gosh! I think Wait, what? But when you were like three, right? Not- <laughs> no, I knew people that thought that well into <laughs> well into middle school. I know oh, it's kind of wow. scary, but uh, 
but no, and I think that I think what is genius about what Cameron does there is that he he really brings it to such a a contemp because he uses this contemporary account to frame the whole story. Right. You're mm-hmm. you're now immediately getting a connection of like, okay, this is now and this person you know, it's the difference between watching a World War Two documentary and talking to somebody who who lived it. Um, where yeah. you get that personal connection. I think that that's really something that, um, you know, I don't know where that idea came from, but I think that it's really, on in terms of just purely commercial sensibilities, really, really smart to, to frame well, your I, historical drama. Like I was that. surprised. I, I had forgotten what a substantial portion of the film that framing device is, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I, obviously, I remembered it existing, um, but I was surprised. I, I mean, it's a good, we spend a good chunk of time yeah. framing this story in the beginning and we jump to it a couple times during the film uh I, I if i'm not mistaken right we've got this big chunk in the beginning where we spend a good what 15 20 minutes I, i'm not sure exactly setting up the story and then we we come back to to like current day rose in the middle of the film somewhere mm-hmm. and then of course at the end um yeah. so i was i was surprised i i didn't remember that it was actually that much you know that significant of a percentage of the film um mm-hmm. but my hunch is i obviously i'm not going to speak for cameron but but i'm going to go out on a limb and take a guess i mean you know cameron had been i think he started to get the idea of of doing this film in the mid 80s i think it was mm-hmm. about 86 when they discovered the titanic wreck it's my understanding that he created a treatment for the film shortly thereafter about in 87 and then a few years before they actually, you know, the film was released, and I think before they started uh, principal photography, he actually chartered a ship and some submersibles, and he went out to the wreck himself, and mm-hmm. they shot some of the actual real life footage, some of which they use in the film. Um, but it's, you know, he's talked about how Paxton's character is kind of like him a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so you know, I think like Cameron actually having gone out to the wreck and been in these submersibles and having done this, I mean, I, that's my guess is that's like he kind of put together, oh, this could be a really interesting framing device because it's basically mirroring his window into the world, right? Like yes. yeah. he was actually, you know, it's it's kind of putting us where he was and uh, and the development of his passion for it coming through actually seeing it and actually, you know, delving into these stories that existed. But you're and right. Realizing it's, that it's not just a money making opportunity. Like I feel like that that character arc on Paxton's parts yeah. is, is very likely something that he felt. Do you to think himself, maybe? Where, yeah. And, and, you know, no, I, I've never heard him speak about that, but I can imagine that's why he put it in there. That you know maybe initially it was just this venture of this will make a really cool movie, and as he yeah. explored the wreck more, realized that it was a lot more than that. All I these think personal the stories too, that that even like besides the the element of getting. The audience to connect with the characters i think what's really genius about his framing is that what he does is he goes through the entire sinking not only in the wreck where we we see oh yeah the 3d the, model the wreckage the, and things wh- like that but the the actual description of what they're happened, explaining how it to rose and so then as you sit and watch this these events unfold you're never unsure of what's happening you don't not that it's very difficult to understand a ship sinking but i i find it very fascinating that you can kind of use that prior knowledge that they set up you know the movie sort of teaches you how to watch it in a way like you're sitting there going okay i know that when you know once the bow goes under well that's when it really starts to to go down fast i think that's actually something that i think is you know this is just a little fun fact about titanic and i think that cameron really captures this well in the movie is that the ship the the very front bow of the ship was still above water 
15 minutes before it went under. So the ship was sinking super, super slow, and then in the last 15 minutes, the bow went under and the ship was gone. And so it's, I think that he really, to ch- set that up in, in, in the, the, the opening and to have mm-hmm. us kind of understand how quickly things went bad, obviously the ship sinking was always bad, but that, that you really now have this layer to understand the, the breaking of the chaos in the last moments of the ship going down. Um, well, and I, that was something that I, I wasn't even aware of, that, that how fast from, you know, you know, it took about maybe an hour and a half to two hours for the ship to kind of flounder a little bit. And then just within the last 15 minutes, that was really when the sinking sped up. And so I think it's really neat to to not have to worry as an audience member that you can just focus on these characters as mm-hmm. they go through this story rather than having to try and figure out, okay, where are we in the sinking now? What's going on? Because you can just kind of take a visual cue and... And the context is there provided for you, which I think is very, very brilliant in a way to utilize that opening framing device in as many ways as possible so that the audience is basically geared in and buckled up for for this love story and they don't have to worry about the technicalities and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it's I mean, and look, it's like I remember at the time, too, people were like, you know, it's a kind of a joke, right? It's like, well, we know how this story is going to end. And yes, and, and yeah. we do. But we know how most stories are going to end, right? I mean, it's actually pretty rare that there's a story we don't know how it's going to end. So it's kind of a, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a goofy joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, of course, we know what's going to happen specifically. So I think, you know, instead of trying to kind of kind of subvert that or trying to kind of do something with the fact that audiences already know what's going to happen, just put a lampshade on it. Yeah. And be like, okay, yeah, boom. Yes, we know you know what's going to happen. And here, we're going to like show you what at the time was the latest scientific understanding of what likely happened, mm-hmm. uh, we'll show it to you. And we're going to kind of run through that whole thing. And and you're right. I think it's um, that way it kind of gives the audience, and, and Cameron is pretty good at this. I mean, he's not a subtle guy. He really is formulaic with the stories. He is big. He's kind of almost melodramatic. He, I mean, it's, so there's, audiences are definitely not getting confused watching Cameron's films that's for no, darn sure no. you know <laughs> and and I you know for better or for worse and maybe we could talk about what we think about that a little more later but yeah I mean he he's like that's that old adage that's like you know tell people what you're going to tell them you know before you tell them it's yeah. like you know yeah. that's definitely Cameron. it goes back to kind of like a Hitchcock thing even of just like playing the audience like a piano in a way and like you know you're you're sh- everything that you're showing the audience you're, you're teaching them how to, again, enjoy this story rather than letting people take anything away on its own, kind of. And, and, it, but, so and with, the exception, with the exception of there are no surprises or twists, though, in this... I yes, mean, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, I think the, other, um, the, the, the other thing, too, is that I find it fascinating that you, you describe that of, like, yeah, the, there was the joke. I mean, I remember um, I wasn't alive at the time, but my cousin, who's much older than I am, saying when it came out, she was like, well, they spoil it in the trailer because the, the ship sinks. <laughs> Like, You're like, oh, I, I duh. Um, and and I th- and I, so I do think that yeah, that's a really that's a really good point that that you know, it's more so this ticking time bomb in a yeah. way of like we know exactly it's the it's the it's the bomb it's under the, the table or the knowing, bomb in the car, right? Yeah, you know? we know what's going to happen. You know, and that but that but that's beautiful though. So that, so that's what I think actually the strength of this film is that so we all know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. So that layers irony on everything or that gives mm-hmm. a deeper meaning 
if not irony, in some places it's ironic, but it gives a deep meaning to everything, right? Because we know from the get-go that most of these people will die. Mm-hmm. We know that we know that this is doomed. So from the very beginning, when Jack is ecstatic that he's won these tickets, and it gives everything a subtext in the film. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's so powerful because, you know, not to get too philosophical, but this is the existential reality of all of our existence. Behind mm-hmm. every beautiful, wonderful, ecstatic moment you experience as a human being, guess what? You know that you're just five minutes closer to your death. Boy, now that yeah. got dark. That got dark no, fast. Well, but I mean, I think but, that that's, that's a good but point. That's, but, yeah. but I think that is actually key. So it turns what would be kind of this, this romance story, this, this almost, you know, because it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet story. And I think mm-hmm. actually that... That's how he pitched it, yeah. And, and it was, that's actually kind of... And that, but that film actually has that tragedy underlying the entire relationship as well. Mm-hmm. But, but that's what I think really resonates with people, whether consciously or subconsciously, that we're all actually on the Titanic. Every single one of us is on a Titanic. And eventually, the ship is going to go down. And there is nothing that you can do about it. Some of us are first class. Some of us are third class. Some, you know, I mean, meaning, you know, we all sit at different socioeconomic positions. We all have different levels of privilege, some more than others. Um, and the film talks also, you know, gender inequality and, and lack mm-hmm. of opportunity for women in that era. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in there, too. But ultimately, I mean, it's like we're all on a sinking ship. Yes. Um, yeah. And so... You know, again, not to get too dark, <laughs> but I think that is actually a big part of why the film really resonates. It's got this very, like, you know, Greek tragedy kind of mythic yeah. quality to it. And that's why the story was appealing from the beginning. One of the reasons why the story was beginning, you know, uh, appealing. It's been something people have been fascinated with forever. And the, the, all the irony that exists about, you know, an unsinkable ship sinking on its maiden voyage, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, it's really rich uh, for that. Well, yeah, but, I, yeah, he did. So I, I know, I think the, the way that he, yeah, there's always the famous stories about Cameron's pitches. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he like had a painting of the Titanic. And he mm. was like, I'm doing Romeo and Juliet on this thing. And that was that was his pitch to the, the sure. studio. But I, I also think it's interesting to also kind of look at the context of, 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 the film industry at the time too to look at what did Michael Bay do only a few years after this, but Pearl Harbor, which oh, was very much an attempt uh, to to recreate the 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 lightning in a bottle that Titanic had, which was right. You know, the you've nostalgia. got these young, attractive stars, yeah. uh, a romance set on a tragedy, like the backdrop of a historical tragedy. Yeah. Um, and God, I forgot about did, that movie. Why did uh, Pearl Harbor completely fall apart and not work at all? Because it was it was it lost focus. You know, Cameron is such a clear focus on what this yeah. movie's about, what the themes yep. are, what you know. Ever, it's no surprise that Cameron hates corporate bureaucracy, and yet he uses that to pit a wedge between these two lovers. You know, like and and that's the, every single. In what way? Element. Explain that more. Um, just you know, just the the class dynamic of of. You know how Jack is treated as a third-class person versus how oh, Rose okay. is treated I, as a first-class, um, yeah. and the the bureaucracy of the ship locking the gate so the third-class people can't get out. Then I got gotcha. these. So like you know, and Cameron always has this this evil businessman in you know, like all of his movies. You know, in Aliens, it's it's Burke, and yeah, um, in the Abyss, I can't remember what the character's name is, but he always has this very kind of you know anti-corporate 
interest in his movies, which I find is interesting as a... Which as is a kind big, of ironic in its yeah, own way, that's right? that's a huge filmmaker. Because ca- ca- Cameron's done his fair share of filling the coffers of large corporations. Yes, yeah. But that... <laughs> but, but, and so but, I think it's really fascinating that he takes, you know, he... I think a, a, a conversation that I think both of us are interested in having is about Cameron as a personal director. Because, you know, I think a lot of people... Um, you know, probably ourselves included, look at huge blockbusters, and those are usually the movies that that aren't super personal for a director, that aren't, that right. are kind of, they're there to make the what money. What are you talking about, dude? Can... Avengers Endgame was, yeah, that was just, very, I felt like that was, that was so personal. deeply personal <laughs> film. Yeah. I mean, I, um, who, I whoever felt, directed yes. it, I feel like I really knew their opinion yeah. and perspective the on AI things that, after that. that. Uh, created that I was movie. so yeah. touched. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I think it, I think what's really fascinating with Cameron that's always, is that it's like these are his personal movies. Yeah, you know. Um, well, I so feel so much okay, of, of Cameron's So let's pause on that. Yeah, I want to sure, pause yeah. on that. Okay, let's pause. Let's so okay, because because I, it's interesting that you say that, and 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 I and I think that you know we, there's a couple, it, maybe it's a it's a yes and no. You know, maybe it's a little bit of because we look back in this filmography to try to educate where Cameron is at this point. You know, mm-hmm. by Titanic, right? So, you know, Cameron had done up until this point, let me let me try to see he had done uh I'm not going to count Piranha. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which which he'll be grateful for probably. Yeah. But yeah. right he has Terminator. Mm-hmm. And you know, Terminator is this gritty low budget genre film, high concept um and and I think it's still, you know, it's hard to say, you know, maybe his best film actually still, honestly, to me at least. Um, but, but it's, it's real high concept. And mm-hmm. I'm, of course, it's not to say that, that aspects of a director's personality, of course they seep into the work. I mean, he wrote it, he did a lot of the design, you know, he's an art, he's like a graphic artist. I don't know if graphics the right word, but I know he does a lot of his own drafting. He does a lot of his own production design, his like concept creation. I mean, he's extremely involved and he writes, yeah. of course, so, very much auteurship over so over yeah, yeah 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 like I, i'm not suggesting like when i say a personal film i'm not saying that it isn't per, like deeply personal to him in those ways that he's like somehow calculated and he's not like putting himself into it i i really do think he is putting himself into it um but i wonder at a certain point like kind of uh, you know so so he has terminator and and has success with that but it's not you know it's not monu- i mean it's it's significant obviously but i mean it's not like you know then he has aliens that's that puts him on a whole different level mm-hmm. abyss mm-hmm. i don't know how you know abyss i abyss don't think was really a success but it wasn't as big it's as, not great but then he yeah. has but then we have we start with terminator 2 terminator 2 is is a gigantic film it's a huge mm-hmm. blockbuster film True Lies was a pretty substantial blockbuster, but by the time we get to Titanic, he's dealing with two hundred plus million dollar budget. Mm-hmm. That's back in '97. That's probably, you know, I'm probably wrong here exactly, but two fifty, three hundred million today. Um, there's so much writing on a film like this. There's, I, I guess, I just wonder how many layers of abstraction though from that personal, because he's got to satisfy so many other stakeholders in this process now. Avatar is the same. He's got this string of Avatar sequels now. How personal can Cameron actually be at this point? That's maybe my point. Is that well, I don't yeah? Have- and it's an interesting question though, because I like so to me, um, you know, for better or for worse, like I think that Avatar two, honestly, I think was his most personal movie. 
Um, okay, like tell see, me, tell me, what, what did you see in that? What did, what did you um, see I in see it that makes like you just say his, that? His worldview is really put on display there. You know, I okay. don't think that he's very... The first Avatar, to me, is much more of but a didn't it standard feel so blockbuster. Generic? I don't but know. To, I, I think that the first Avatar, to me, felt a lot more generic and like a standard blockbuster, whereas this one, you know, there's like 45 minutes of this movie where the people are just like looking at fish and, and, and you know, hmm. there's talking whales and there's all this like weird... <laughs> Very, very environmentally, and because he's a huge environmentalist. Sure. Um, and I think that, yeah, like that, I think um, he's a rare case where, where the, the, and I had a conversation with this, uh, about this um, with a friend also where, where he was sort of like, my friend was sort of saying, um, not, not quite uh, to your point, but he was sort of saying like, oh yeah, you know, like I think that, that any big budget movie, like regardless of whether it's an Avengers or whether it's a Avatar 2, that like it's bad for the industry, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of said, well, mm. the difference between those two things though is that like Avatar 2, regardless of whether or not somebody liked it or, or loved it or whatever, um, it's very much Cameron's movie. Um, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that there was a lot of, I don't think they didn't, I know for a fact they didn't do any test screenings. They didn't do any like, you know, focus, there were no it, focus it was, groups. Yeah. Or... I think that Cameron is kind of at this point where he is, is for lack of a better term, the king of the world in, in his own way uh, in that a, he yeah. can make so many decisions with massive amounts of money because he just has such a proven track record that okay, the studio fair, is just fair. kind of hands off, you know? I'll give you that. I'll give you that, that he, he may be, and we're, we're obviously hypothesizing here because we don't know for sure there's like i don't think anybody has no strings attached including cameron like that I, I don't think he's above the law so to speak when it comes to the corporations who are funding his projects he may have more autonomy than most but i i just don't imagine that there aren't still quite a few strings but let's even give the argument that he is totally autonomous i think the pressure that comes though would be from himself like once you're known as the dude who always breaks box office records, right? Cameron doesn't make ten million dollar movies, twenty million dollar movies, fifty million dollar movies. He's making two, three, four, five hundred million dollar movies. Yeah. Like, I think that you like he's in a box of his own success, is what I'm, you know. And mm -hmm. so it's like, how alienating could you be in a film yeah. at that yeah. point? I mean, imagine. Just imagine, thought experiment, thought experiment. So let's just imagine that Cameron had a movie come out, only had like a $20 million budget, and only made like $30 million. Like, think about what, the, I mean, it would, his whole place in the industry would be turned upside down if that happened. Mm-hmm, yeah. I just don't know if he'd want to make something for $20 million. And that's my point. I feel like and, all no, of his no, ideas but are... Cullen, yeah. Cullen, that's my point. Is yeah, that yeah. It's, it's, it's because of his own... like All of those parameters that he wants to keep about his career automatically mm -hmm. kind of puts him in a certain space. Where yeah, no, I can see he, that. Yeah, He has yeah. to make films that translate globally, across culture, across language, across... Because you, you have to have that wide of an audience... Yeah. When you are when you're spending that much money and and so that's what I'm talking about is that he has to genericize. He has to abstract his thoughts, his opinions, his themes such that they are globally acceptable, like by a global audience. And I think that's what he was genius with with Titanic because mm -hmm. Titanic is like it's super He was super, able yeah. to take he was able to take a specific event that it happened to specific people in the Western world. And he was able to take that and pull the themes out 
and form that story, the fictional story inside of the factual event that would translate to practically anyone and everyone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Across, around the world, any age, young. I mean, the, it's like almost, it's amazing to me that like a 10-year-old or even younger, like you're telling your story about you and your friends and your generation who love this film. It's almost like surprising because you're like, well, who in the heck, like what kid would care about some... Who doesn't you know, like sh- this movie? Who shit, well, uh, <laughs> but no, but... but but just on face value, without the wonderful storytelling of Cameron, where he was able to abstract a story that could speak across time and space and age, um, you know, okay, a ship sunk in 1912. Like, what kid gives a rip about that? No yeah, kid gives yeah. a rip about that. So I think that's, you know, his genius. And I, I think, obviously, this is not a revelation. People have talked about this forever. People have also said some of the similar things about Spielberg. I know you like Spielberg a lot, too, where he's able to create these, you know, pull out very universal themes and speak in a way to them that max. They're like populist films, you know, Mm -hmm. like like he's making films that are, you know, it's like, okay, so he's an environmentalist. You say that that's personal. I don't know if that categorizes to me as personal. I'm like, okay, it's it's something he cares about. It's a cause. It's easily digestible. It's like something you can make a movie about, and a lot of audiences will go to and see. And and I'm not saying it is disingenuous on his behalf. I mean, he may very well be connected to that cause, but is that really personal? I don't. I think I. So I think I agree and I disagree in some forms. Um, so the thing I, I the thing I disagree about is I think that yeah, I think that. Um, I think that regardless of whether or not like environmentalism and stuff like that was commercial for him, I think he'd still do that. And I, I think that honestly, I, I don't think that he would be very afraid of making a flop. Um, cause I think okay. that his, I like, so if I look at, you know, a lot of the things that he used in avatar two, he actually, as far as I'm aware, saved them because he was doing a bunch of psychedelics in like the early eighties and came up with all these ideas for avatar. That what? He, Where did you he, hear that? Oh, he doesn't. There's a great interview with him actually about in, in like '82 where he's. Talking oh wait, can about I his... tell a story though? Can I tell a sure. story yeah, though, yeah, real yeah, quick? Yeah, before because yeah. I'm gonna forget. So, so I'm listening to the commentary track. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't get all the way through it, but I was listening to the commentary track in preparation for this, and 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 he totally he just tosses that off this off nonchalantly. What I'm about to share. Mm-hmm. So apparently they're they're filming some of this framing device stuff that we were talking about, right? Um, and. Uh, and so they had like clam chowder for crab, like for oh, one of, I do know for meals, <laughs> and uh, and uh, apparently they still have no idea who did this. They have mm-hmm. they never found the culprit or anything. But apparently their food, the clam chowder, got spiked with PCP. Yeah, literally yeah. with PCP. And so thirty minutes after lunch break, everybody who ate clam chowder, which was like three quarters of the cast and crew, yeah. started tripping out on PCP <laughs> yeah. on set. Yeah. I, I had never heard this before. So he casually, he just so casually mentions it in the commentary. He's like, oh, yeah, this is where we had to stop filming because we all got poisoned with PCP. High, yeah. yeah, we all got we all got high on PCP. And I was like, yeah. wait, 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 what? So I went and looked it up at like articles at the time. And yeah. apparently this is like totally a real thing. And they have that, no idea whoever did it. Yeah. And they have no. And so they think it was like maybe a disgruntled crafty person or something or caterer yeah. or something. But I'm like, what? Like, yeah. holy crap! I, I can't I imagine. Love that story. Like being like like ingesting PCP unknowingly. You're on set. You're working, and like all of a sudden, you're like losing your mind. Um. So anyway, when you mentioned psychedelics, 
I don't know if PCP is actually a psychedelic. I don't know. Well, much I think about it counts as. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I think it is one. But yeah. It's. But, I, I'm um, sure. I'm sure it's very mind altering. But yes, yeah. But anyway, that's when you mentioned Cameron going off into the. You know doing like a psychedelic experience yes, or something yeah. and having these ideas for avatar i was like wait maybe it was on titanic was when he had pcp <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but it's, it is interesting to hear him talk about that because i think that does to me um and again this is all conjecture like it's, it's i've never spoken to Cameron. that's all we um, do on this podcast exactly. we love Colin it. is conjecture we love it but uh but he um you know, I think that to me, I think that there's 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 a lot of weird there's a lot of weirder stuff in Avatar two than there was in Avatar one, um, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that that literally is just his his sensibility. Like I think he's just yeah. kind of like you know what the studio wants to give me three hundred million dollars to make this very yeah. you know psychedelic personal journey about like spiritualism and all this stuff because he's not even he's not a religious guy. I don't even think he's spiritual in the the like cosmic sense as far as i in can a secular tell. sense he's, yeah, yeah but he but he definitely is very interested well, in that kind of I, side of things and i think and it less so in i would say titanic there's not a lot of really psychedelic moments where except for perhaps the behind the scenes uh, clam chowder lunch <laughs> but um but i think that that does you know i, okay. I would say that I, I actually kind of want to briefly compare him to baz lerman okay um, uh, interesting so the reason why is because i think baz lerman is sort of like the opposite side of a James Cameron coin, where he's a guy that gets really big budgets, usually does some sort of historical pictures, or you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times he does adaptations of, of things. Yeah. Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, um, uh, what was Elvis wasn't an adaptation, it was biopic, yeah. um, and S- pseudo, but, pseudo, but yeah. yeah. And to 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 me, Lerman often kind of misses the mark because Lerman appears to be trying really hard to to sort of approach a young audience and say like, look at. Like I'm, I'm with your sensibilities. I'm going to use pop hmm. music during these montages, and I'm going to be very. But like, he's always done quick that, even energetic. when he was young. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's not. Um, I don't so think it's I, not. I think him. that's authentic to him. I, yes. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think that that's authentic to Boz. I don't think he's trying to like. I think. Uh, I think it's authentic to him. I think that what sort of misses the mark for me is more uh-huh. so just that it. It's as authentic as his sensibilities are, it's not. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, I just think you just off. don't like his sensibilities, Colin. Yeah, I was trying to put it nicely. I was trying to put it nicely. So, so the like, <laughs> let me let me just make sure I understood what you just had to like take a digression for for your for your like thesis here. You're basically just saying you like James Cameron and you don't like Bob Lerman. I, <laughs> well, I mean, there's that's... more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Um, <laughs> that's basically what I just got out of that. I it's think, okay. I think Jim Cameron, uh, I think Jim Cameron's sensibilities are, are authentic as well. I think that the difference is, I think Jim is, I don't know. I, was, I just keep saying Jim is, um, you know, buddy, buddy. Yeah. You're buddies. Yeah. That's okay. He grew up near me. So it counts. You're practically but, um, family. Yeah. But he, um, he, I think, has a really good mastery on on a little bit a little bit more of a mastery in terms of like again, telling the audience what to think, what to feel. He's not shy about that. His music, I mean, we haven't touched on the score in this, but well, like the way that he uses James Horner's score in this is so calculated and manipulative in a very you know good well, so way that, to me. But, I think but that a, well, and and you know one to one man's you know one person's love could be another's hate. I mean mm-hmm. that could be you know obviously a, a critique and it would be a fair one if you didn't like Cameron's work would be mm-hmm. that you know he has gotten to a point where it's almost you know this idea of like I'm going to show you what I'm showing you and I'm telling you what I'm showing you and I'm going to map it out and I'm going to you know where you're not giving the audience much room to move within the work yes um yeah. and 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 
you know, that could be a very, some person, people may love it, but that could be where a lot of people don't, don't like that kind of film. And I, you know, I tend to prefer films that, um, come from a little bit less of a, like premeditated, calculated space where there's Mm -hmm. a little more of that, like, I, uh, I subconscious that's coming through Room from the think. storyteller yeah. where it's like where it's like they don't even maybe know exactly like what they're saying or why they're saying it but it's like I'm going to put it on the screen and there's a lot of different ways you could take this you know it's like I, I when I'm watching Titanic this time um there was there were a lot of I felt like I and I enjoy the film so let me just preface I enjoy the film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I liked it I, I was sucked into it when I watched it in the theater when I was a, when I was younger and I thought I still think that it's a fun film. I and it, a lot of people criticize it, but I, I I do think that it's a really wonderful film. But but it is pretty heavy-handed in a lot of ways, and, oh, and Cameron absolutely. can be yeah. really heavy-handed, and and I don't like that so much. There were even points where it was like actors are mugging to camera. I don't know if you caught that here, where it's just like I can just tell that Cameron's instruction is like you've got to really land that, land that harder. I mean, it just it felt like it at least to me. Yeah, where it yeah. was just like. We really have to land the eye roll. We really have to land the disgust. We really, you know, just a little bit over the top. We're just hamming it up a little bit. It he goes really far to make sure that you that you understand exactly what's going on, and it and it and it yeah. feels like a little bit of playing to the back row. It's very maximalist in and, a lot of ways. And, yeah. Well, or just I'm I'm going to make sure that I set the I'm going to go to the lowest common denominator to make sure that nobody misunderstands what I'm saying. I feel like that's a little bit in his storytelling. Yes. And, oh, and I I agree. Um, as some I mean, you know that I I love. Like Terrence Malick, for example, is right. I think who is who is quite opposite, very much Cameron. the opposite of yeah. Cameron in in the way that his his films are very much up for interpretation. He's not very mm-hmm. um, you know on the nose with his his for lack of a better term thesis you know and and he's got a very strong themes in his work and yet he still allows a lot of engagement on the part of like intellectual engagement on the part of the viewer and yeah. the audience and yet i find weirdly enough i think the reason i like them both is that again i i find that they're kind of like it's kind of like a horseshoe. Like, like I find that they're so yeah, yeah. far different that they're I... They're opposite I, poles. They, it's like Cameron is like both. the only one that I can... He's one of the only directors that is like this in the way that you describe, where it's like everything mm-hmm. is very heavy-handed, everything is very much set up for audience interpretation, lowest common denominator, has to get it. And yet he's like the only director I know who does that that I actually really enjoy. And maybe it's just yeah. because I like the choices that he makes. That's okay. Um, but it's, I, I, but it's, And yeah. I, don't, I don't not enjoy him. I, it's not that I don't yeah, enjoy yeah. him. I do enjoy him. And I think you make a good point. You, you use like a horseshoe analogy. I kind of use like a magnet. You've got to have a north and a south pole. You ha- you know, there's room for all different types of filmmakers. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that if we are analyzing his filmmaking, I think, you know, Cameron seems to be a very confident person in yes. in all aspects yeah. of his life now now hey maybe he's not you know i know it's sometimes the most confident seeming people or some people with the most insecurity inside um and and it's very clear that he's bright and so i i don't think it's possible for a bright person to not have a lot of doubt self-doubt mm-hmm. i don't think mm-hmm. uh, but you know what do i know but i guess when i watch his films i i feel like i'm i'm seeing a director's work who isn't so much searching for answers, but is saying like, here they are. Yeah, I mean this in like a very them, yeah. abstracted, I mean this in a very abstracted, non-literal way. But yeah. what I'm trying to yeah. say is like, 
I tend to personally enjoy works that are more explorations. They're Mm -hmm. they're asking questions. They're open-ended. It's exploratory. And you get a sense that the author of the work is kind of, is exploring some aspect of their own personages, right? Or the human condition. And I'm like, I don't know what the answers to this are. I'm exploring this. And when I watch a Cameron film, you know, it, 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 and we've really abstracted from, you know, a a ship sinking, right? But that's what art is. I, I feel like it's kind of like, here is what I know that the answer is to this question. If that makes sense to you, right? Yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I th- but I, I will say, I will add one thing, and this might have just been my experience with the movie. Um, and uh, but I found Avatar two weirdly exploratory for him, surprisingly exploratory for him. Mm. I found that that was kind of to me. And I know um, I, what I, aspects I, of that, like, like, give me an example because I, I, I had a very different experience. I didn't. Yeah, feel I don't know. That I think from the I, film, I think it was just going back to that whole like conversation he has about psychedelics, which is just that there's like he described it in a way of 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 you know you look at everything through a screen, and not mm-hmm. literally, not not even yeah. in terms of cinema, but just just in terms of a life. Lens. You, you have you a exactly you've got a lens yeah. that you you Your approach life through, and that yeah. you know that. This is specifically relating to his conversation on psychedelics, where he talks about how, like, when you when you take a psychedelic, you often are able to look at that lens and kind of for for the first time analyze why it is you're seeing things the way that you are seeing them, which is a very interesting way to put it. And I found that not in Avatar One, but in Avatar Two, he seems to be approaching this kind of again very spiritual operatic. Mm. Um, kind of grand, and I, it could be something that I'm reading into the film that's on my okay, own too. But that's how it works. Um, like, like, a but work just of judging art? by the way that he speaks about these things, I think I, I don't mm. think it's unintentional that that he, you know, he asks questions about. I think that Avatar two. I know that we're doing Titanic, but <laughs> but um, you know, to talk about his life, um, Avatar two to me is very much the opposite movie. Even though I really like them, Titanic and Avatar two, and I. You know, there were split opinions on that. But um, I found that it was for the first time in his work, he was, he was again, he wasn't providing those answers in a really interesting way. That he was, he was showing these, you know, very clearly metaphors for what we're doing to Earth, et cetera, and all that, and how we treat the planet, and how we interact with nature and stuff like that. And yet I find that he kind of has reached this weird spiritual point, spiritual in a, in a like, psychedelic sense, not a literal sense. I just wonder um, how much this article that you read is coloring, like, your interpretation of the, like, if you had well, it's, a, it's, a, it's Actually, it's a video interview. It's, it's like this just sitting Same difference. Him down. Same yeah, difference. Yeah, but he, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard him also talk about these things in relation directly to, to the I, second I mean, film, I, I'm not but, trying to um, argue with you. I'm just trying to understand. Do you have an... Because, boy, this is just like a whole episode of digression, way off Titanic. <laughs> but, but I want it's to explore this Cameron for just episode. a second because, like, what... Like, can you... Is there a specific moment in the film where you're like, oh, I see that he's asking a question here. I see that he's posing a question as opposed to, like... Like, do you have a specific so it's, example? So it's... I think that he is deeply fascinated. I've heard him speak about this before, too, about, about like, the kind of almost Hindu approach at, at life, which is, is that but there's a really interesting... But where do we see that in the film? So I'll... I'll, 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 I'll Okay. I'll get into that in a second. Um, so, okay. so this is a huge, obviously, this is just the James Cameron episode at this point, which is I'm I'm. No, we're gonna about. get back to but, Titanic. We're gonna get yeah, back. But um, but I, I so the the Hindu creation story. I, I believe it's yeah, it is Hinduism. Yeah, is that it's a very interesting 
religious text because what it does is it basically says like our deity is the only thing that knows where the universe came from and maybe even he doesn't know and it's this very interesting again sort of psychedelic understanding of just like you know what we don't know anything and we never will and that's kind of the beauty of life mm-hmm. and i find that when i again not necessarily so much in avatar one which is a pretty straightforward forward action adventure movie but in two there's all this like stuff about you know how we and this does he touches on an avatar one but way more in two where it's like all this stuff about like returning to the the energy to the earth being brought back in this creation that you can talk to the creator you can talk to mother nature but you don't understand it and mother nature probably doesn't understand it either and that there's not meaning behind these things but rather mm. just that experiencing these things is is kind of the the way to to be happy to be you know peaceful and at peace and all that so mm. i think that it's really fascinating to me that well even you know even what's the what's the monologue that jack gives when he's in first class is all about you know experiencing life one Mm -hmm. day at a time about waking up and not knowing who you're gonna have dinner with and all these things it's like i was sleeping under a bridge and then now i'm having champagne with you guys and there is this this running through you know this kind of line that runs through a lot of his work um about kind of shaking off the modern system and obviously he's got to make films that are for a modern audience are for you know general audiences so you can't go too far with that you can't be like i'm making this movie to tell you to to quit your job and you know go travel the world but i do think that that does seep into his work a lot i think that that's kind of his philosophy on life that's what i that's what i gather um hmm. and i find that very fascinating because i i think that that's probably why i think he why, wants yeah. that i think he wants that to be in his yeah, life, but I perhaps would, I, yes, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how much of that is actually him, but that's an mm-hmm. interesting. Okay, I, I mean, you you made some interesting points. I I just because I didn't pick that up certainly doesn't mean that it that you didn't, and that it's it, it speaks to us in different ways. And mm-hmm, I'm sure mm-hmm. at some point I'll watch Avatar two again, and I'll try to look at it, uh, look for some of these things that you're talking about. But to go back to to Titanic, you know couple of the things that just like came out to me too i was kind of interested in and how i felt like or kind of my you know experience of this uh of watching this again now you know kind of we learn so much we're learning about as we we're, we're past the framing device and we're kind of in you know 1912 and mm-hmm. we're we're learning about jack he's revealed to us he's like this you know like you just kind of described right he's like this he's very free spirit he's an artist I, I think some of that, you know, obviously we know Cameron is an artist. Cameron actually drew all the drawings that yeah. uh, Jack's yeah. character has in the film. My my suspicion is that Cameron wants to see himself as a free spirit in the way that Jack has written, but oh, might definitely. not actually be yeah. so much, because that's just what we do as writers. But we kind of idealize some parts of ourselves that we wish maybe we had in greater mm-hmm. amounts. Mm-hmm. Um but but we learn, you know, he's got this great agency, right? He goes where he wants. He does what he wants. He, you know, he's traveled the world. And even though he has no means, he's able to do all these things, right? And we juxtapose that with Rose, who actually has tremendous means. Well, we actually find out her family doesn't so much. But, I mean, at least more than, you know, they have greater means than, you know, and her fiancé certainly has great, to means. great yeah. means. Yeah. yeah. 
but she has very little agency, right? She mm -hmm. can't even order her own food. She can't smoke. She can't go where she pleases or do what she wants. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, literally bound by everything from the clothes that she wears to her mother, to her fiance, to the system, right? She's property, yeah. yeah. Basically, in effect, right. Uh, and this is made very specifically and, you know, formulaically clear to us through the movie. But I guess what I kind of, and I'm really curious about your, what your thoughts are on this, and I don't even know exactly how I feel about it, so I kind of want to discuss it to maybe try to understand it. I, you know, I get a sense that we really understand Jack, like who he is as a mm -hmm. person, right? We understand his character. We understand his personality. We understand his, like, core aspects of who he is as a human. But what we're really only ever finding out about Rose are her circumstances to great extent. Mm. Right. Like 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 I and so I wonder if that is so. So what I started where the where this hit for me, where this came to a head was when Jack very early on in the film, he's like talking to her about how wonderful she is. Like he he sees this wonderful person. I'm totally paraphrasing and, you know, but mm -hmm. basically he's like, I see how wonderful and everything you are. And as an audience, I was like well, this is kind of weird. This almost feels false because I don't know that we've really seen anything about her at all, actually. We've seen That's a ton about yeah. Yeah. We've seen a ton about Jack. I've seen all these things about Jack. He's this free spirit. He wins the tickets in the poker. He's resourceful. He's an artist. He's mm -hmm. a free, you know, he's a world traveler. He isn't, you know, he has, uh, you know, ingenuity and, and all these things. He's a good friend. Like, we see all these things, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's obviously played very charismatic by, charismatically by Leo, and so that's on top of all these things. Um, he's clearly bright. He, you know, all these things. But, but Rose, we just kind of see, like, her bump up against every obstacle that she has. But we don't really see anything about her. And so we get to this point in the story where Jack's like basically saying, like, you're amazing. You're the most amazing one woman I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm just like, wow, I don't know that we've actually seen anything. I, I think and I, so I, um... I almost wonder in a strange way if Cameron, through the writing of his characters, is actually still doing to Rose the character what he's showing society doing to Rose the character. And if right. that's on purpose or not. I find it. Inter I, I think that's interesting because I I do I think to to a greater extent I relate to Rose's desires and I think I get that and they're definitely much more subtle. Sure. And I do too. Um, I, I, we we sense her desires, but I just yeah. it's like we don't really know anything about her. Yeah, I think to me the way that it kind of I think the way that Cameron almost writes it is like it's almost sacrificial in the way that Jack has to die to pass his virtue yeah. onto her in a way yes absolutely. like it and it's kind of interesting and he it, has it, and to so, save her yes yeah by by almost by in a way sacrificing himself and it's like he yeah. passes on that that adventurous kind of spirit to her and, and and so yeah i do um yeah i agree that the the um yeah it's like when he pulls her into like the gym thing right and he's he's like telling her that like it's it's kind of after they've said you don't see jack again and and he's sort of saying to her like like you're gonna die if you don't get out of this and you're really smart and genius, I think is the scene that you're referring to. No, it's um, earlier. No, it's much earlier. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, no, it, he has this conversation where he, I, gosh, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember exactly where it is, but it's earlier in the story. Okay. Uh -huh. And where, where we don't, like, none of this, tra it's, it's, 
you know, and he says, like, I think you're really great. Maybe it's when she's going to jump off the boat, you know. Or maybe I, it's I, when she's looking at his paintings on the, or pictures on the, the yeah, deck but, or something. And or, maybe yeah. it's there, but there's a point where he's like, you know, you're great and wonderful. And, you know, yeah. and, and I, I guess I'm just like, I, if, if, if he's only seen of her what I've seen of her, I, I don't feel like that's earned. I don't feel like, like, it's only relying on her beauty. Yeah, which I mean, which, maybe that's also the point. Maybe he's just well, like but a, this is where I'm saying like the camera do sexual this on purpose. Desire, right? Is this actually on you know yeah. because it still kind of falls into this trope, right? Where mm-hmm. the woman is the the woman character is defined by the circumstances instead of like her own age, you know? Because even though she's constricted, you could have shown like who she actually is more. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we could have learned more about her through more than just her external circumstances. And right? I guess, I mean, and perhaps perhaps the, the, the goal on Cameron's part there, too, might have been to, to frustrate the audience in that way. To well, like make that a to make know. that a very much a a like we'll never know you know that's what that's my question too so okay yeah, so yeah. so you do see kind of if I explain it to you though you do kind of see what I'm mm-hmm. what I'm yeah. talking about um, yeah I think yeah I think it's it's a definitely uh, I don't know I could see that going both ways I could see that being something that's just sort of a narrative thing that's got to be brushed by to get there. to the later stuff or i could there. see it also being an intentional yes it's definitely there yeah, but yeah. it's there yeah yeah um yeah and so i i i've got to say though too i i think that um of the two of them i actually very much prefer winslet's performance to okay. dicaprio's um i find that winslet yeah. gives a really really great early 20th century kind of just act like it's played up in melodrama. I find that that, that's something that's really interesting about this movie too, is that the, the performances are all heightened in a way that's not necessarily as obvious. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel satirical. It doesn't feel like parody of, no, but it sometimes feels hammy. It it feels hammy, but but the hamminess is authentic. You know, it doesn't feel like it's making fun of hamminess by being hammy. It feels like it's being hammy because, that's oh no, it's er- it's earnestly hammy. Yes, yeah. it's earnestly and, hammy. And I yes. sort of I respect that in a lot of ways. <laughs> like I respect the, the 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 performance that Kate Winslet gives in this is so so melodramatic. It's it feels like something straight out of you know. Obviously well, do you know what her nickname was at this but, time? No, what do you was know it? what? Her, I have no idea. Corset Kate. Oh, okay. Yes, because she was so noted for period pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that this is the world that she's come from. Yeah, you know, and so I and I find that, but I yeah, like she could she could be you could take this exact performance and drop it into a nineteen forties, you know, movie, and I yeah. feel like it would work so well. And I think that that's really like probably would yeah, really really great about it. Whereas I feel like DiCaprio is is playing a little bit more to modern. Maybe that's again that might be Cameron. That might have been Cameron's direction. Um, that you know you have this very classic performance from from Winslet, while you get this kind of modern heartthrob performance from from uh DiCaprio. yeah leo leo's performance is definitely contemporary and i think yeah. they try to layer that into the difference in socioeconomic uh, economic strat you know status mm-hmm. so he's shown as much more casual but i agree I, I don't think that his performance um is would was is you know era appropriate you know re, even for that class of, yeah. yeah right it, it's he is very very uh contemporary in his mm-hmm. style and, and he, honestly, I mean, I feel like even his language, the way he's written, I feel yeah, like the ingenre, right. like his his tone of of, of speech yeah, and things like everything, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the entirety of his his stage presence and performance, and even because even like Billy Zane, 
he feels mm-hmm. more time appropriate. Yeah. Um, the other male characters feel more era appropriate. His friends. Um, I mean, the the Fabrizio his, and the. Uh, which is hard to say. Yeah. I I don't know if he does or not. Um, I, I I'd have to kind of think about that a little more. But certainly, like the the first class, you know, the upper class uh, male yes. characters, yeah. I feel like. It, but I don't know if that's coming from like their kind of like formality, you know, in their costuming and in their language and delivery. There's like a formality. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, so it's hard to say. But just in my kind of knee jerk kind of what my interpretation is, as a, just a viewer is, is that, yeah, I feel like I agree with you that Leo's performance definitely more contemporary. Feels like he could have just been pulled out of a current movie, you know, like yeah. you yeah. can put that character in a movie that took place in 97 with a different a costume on and it would just fit right it in. would be this yeah yeah it would still yeah. just his there's nothing about his speech there's nothing about his yeah no. his, i i also do um want to touch on the the pretty much you know the the third lead actor of this movie which is the special effects the, the oh incredible, yeah we have you to. know i i i have gone for ages saying this that i think that given the time what was available technologically at the time i believe that this is is the best, if not one of the best, effects movies of all time. It's great. Um, you know, it's there's amazing. definitely you, especially seeing it on a big screen. You can s- certainly pick out some flaws that, again, are all technological. Well, like maybe it's a little bit of compositing that's just not. Yeah, quite... I, I noticed. I noticed a couple things that were funky. With, but but yeah. I do want to say before we kind of nitpick or talk about. I mean, yeah, and I got to tell you, just you know, having been in the theater in '97, having seen it in its release, I mean, it was epic beyond epic it was Mm -hmm. you know uh granted now you look at it in 2023 and sure you're kind of like oh i kind of you know some of the shots look a little cartoony it's obvious that this is cgi but i gotta say but they still hold up i think it holds up especially knowing this Mm -hmm. is 97 but watching this in a theater at the time i mean it truly was just awesome i mean it was it, it just there was not a single shot that took you out of the story that epicness and that sense of awe that that ship would have made you feel yeah had you been there and, and seen blended it in real life, so well with the with was the, yeah. what you felt in the theater it was yeah. like oh my god i mean it was like such a sense of awe and i think to just go back to our super early digression i think maybe that's some of what you're talking about it's like films have got to instill and it doesn't have to be with costumes and capes and superheroes a sense of awe in their scope Mm -hmm. for them to be worth somebody going to the theater for and this film definitely provided that epicness and that sense of awe um throughout throughout the whole thing but it just Uh, even the mastery of the combination and the blending of of practical elements models cg um i mean you you look at the the the, even the the blend of of the the contemporary stuff with the submarines at the beginning, where it's like you know you can kind of play a little game of trying to guess what's a model and what's real. There's an um, easy way to tell, by the way. You want to know what the easy way to tell is? Is it the silt in the water? It, it's just if you ever see two of the little submersibles in one shot. Oh yes, because they could have only shot. They only had it's two, models. Right? If you yeah. only see one submersible, it's real. But yeah. they did an amazing. I mean, that's just models in smoke. Yeah. And it looks yeah. so great. It looks And then amazing. the fact that, you know, they they built a, a scale, obviously not a full working model. But I forget the, exactly the, what the it was. Sinking, didn't they build like a third of the ship or like the bow yeah, it's, or the, like the, 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 the side? The sinking of the, like that, that, that shot, those shots that you see where it is sticking out of the water are primarily all in camera. 
Yeah. Um, you know, that, that they had a, they yeah. had a, 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 that exact same set would split and they yeah. could do it over and over and over again. And, and it's, it's really to me like the, that is the, that was kind of the perfect era to me of c- CGI in a lot of ways too, because you had CG doing what it did best, which was yeah. enhancing visual yeah. material that was shot like in a it, camera. Like shot, like shot extensions, like, yeah. you know, fill it, filling the background with, with And there, I mean, again, there, and there's some, there's some wonky, see, like when that first shot of, um, when they're leaving, you know, when they're first going out to sea, so uh-huh. a little bit after the, like, actual leaving port scene, but when he, when they're, with the captain, the king of the world scene. Oh, the, and, and the, is, the that, shot. is that, is that when we, like, we, we have the camera go, like, over the entire top of the boat, or yeah. ship, yeah. oh my and god, sorry, ship, it, ship, ship, yes, ship, ship, not a yeah. boat, <laughs> and, uh, oh, jeez, god, uh, they even, they even crack that joke in, in the, the movie, movie yeah. itself. Uh, it's funny, I was actually, where was I? I was, oh, darn it, I can't even remember what city I was in now, um, Geez. Anyway, I, I I took like this old like World War II uh, carrier. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And I bought my tickets and and on purpose. I did this on purpose. I bought my tickets and I was like, it wasn't clear like where to go to get to the carrier, the entrance. So it's yeah. like, hey, how how do I get on the boat? And they like <laughs> gave me this like horrible look, and they were like, it's a ship. And I was like, I know that's the joke. Come on. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, it's it, that it, shot though of the of the whole but, yeah, thing. I mean, and, it, and it, there's a shot of um, Murdoch, who's the first officer was epic, coming out though, of the bridge. Day. But that was, was it? You, but you got to understand that played that crushed it though. Oh, a hundred percent, and it still does. It still does. It's just it's funny because there's a shot of of Murdoch walking over to the captain as he stands and looks over the, yeah, the bow, and it's, a, and it's, it's, it's like a, you can see it's a CG model puppet, of Murdoch, yeah. and he's he's walking yeah. really stiffly, and then it cuts to the real thing, and he's. He's a real yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even and, and, that, like, that's such, it's a two-second shot. And but that barely... was, but, but all of that technology even to, like, to actually, like, replicate people or, you know, to yes. put, like, small-scale yeah. figure, CGI figures in the background and have it look even remotely good. I mean, those things were, you know, again, you got to remember, this is 97, yeah. right? Um, I mean, it was massive to make it. I think the, one of their biggest challenges was creating a CG ocean. It had never been done before to I, and, create and like I, actual water effects. With the uh, shot that you yeah. talked about there, that took six months. Yeah, that yeah. that just that shot, and I think it lasts maybe five or six seconds or something. You know, ten mm-hmm. seconds tops. That, that and it still looks amazing. Months. I mean, it's yeah. it's it looks really really good. Um, but the the you know all of the interior stuff. I mean, you've got it like costuming, production design, recreation mm-hmm. of the ship. I mean, a clearly just in, in all of Cameron's films exhibit an extraordinarily high level of technical fit and finish and polish and execution. Yeah. I mean that he's he's nothing if he isn't, you know, uh, uh, an engineer and technologically savvy. He's always mm-hmm. innovating. And I don't think I mean, it's very rare that you see a significant technical issue or incompetence in his films. I mean, it just and it's very happen. deeply involved in, yeah. in every layer of it, too. You know, a lot of a lot of contemporary directors especially with how much cg is used are hardly involved in the in the, the yeah i think that with the marvel movies well they a just lot of times before it. before a director's even hired they've got they've the already action started scenes rendered out you know it's <laughs> yeah, like they're, yeah. they're rendering those so to see a director who to this day is still so deeply involved in every layer of production is very very inspiring um you know for yeah for lack well, of I anything mean, else he, but he, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, I kind of parallel him, uh, not in temperament or, you know, but uh, or style or but to, to Ridley Scott. I feel like mm. both of these, you know, Ridley Scott, I feel like is almost like a production designer first. Yes. Uh, he's yeah. he's he's an artist himself. He's so hands on on production design. 
works very closely with his you know concept artist etc i mean it's you know in films like alien and blade runner i mean it's the production design that that makes it's a huge part yes. of, the, of what makes those films so wonderful and that world creation he's able to put in it i feel like cameron is very similar in a sense i mean mm -hmm. he's a different person but i almost feel like he's you know he's a he's a technologist he's an engineer He's a, he's an art like a visual artist and a he he's considers himself an explorer for sure as well. Really, yeah, and so I feel like he do, he comes at his films you know in a similar kind of way from Ridley. I, I you know I, one of the thing I was really blown away by you know all the practical stuff with the water, which is like a nightmare. But all like the flooding oh God, sequences, yeah. Yeah. you know, we've got actors in these corridors and rooms, and we're flooding these sets. I mean that's insane uh, amount of undertaking. I mean that you know to work. I mean in water I remember like as that. a kid I used to make when I would make my Lego Titanic movies and I'd be in the <laughs> bathtub. We gotta see some just, of these. Just even to I would like build the dining hall and then I'd have my camera set up so you couldn't like it was like a diorama and then you know I'd I slowly it. sink it into the bathtub so you could see the the chairs and all that floating and. Would you do um, like? Would you go like? Oh! <laughs> yeah, pro I'm sure. I don't even know if I still have them, but but I'd love to. I, I gotta find those. But it, it, I remember at that time, at that scale, working with water was was hell. You were, you were like, and like you were having like, to, you know, if you, I wanted you were to reset. Like, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you drown, you rich bastard. Yeah, like exactly. you saved all the third. You saved we put all the, the third yeah. Class. We put the cages on the on the the first class uh, cabins. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But no, <laughs> I, I remember just just the, the hell going through having to like reset the the furniture in Lego. At that scale, and I can't imagine, you know, yeah. sinking that dining hall and then going, okay, let's do it again. I know. <laughs> all right, like, let's go again. I mean, yeah. but just all of, you know, it's just it's really quite extraordinary. I yeah. Yeah, there was the the only, you know, because I don't consider, you know, the shot that you're saying where you can kind of like tell that the the figures are now CGI in the distance. I mean, I th this is just limitations of the technology at the time, and mm -hmm. they were pushed hugely ahead. The only like real place where I, act I actually stopped rewound rewound you know whatever it's not really winding but i went back and kind of did a frame by frame where there actually did seem to be like some kind of strange compositing error actually yes. in the film is yeah. when the smokestack falls on top of uh fabrizio right yes yeah. if you uh -huh. if you go frame by frame it, it looked weird to me in real time but i couldn't pick out what was happening so i went back and the nerd that i am i went frame by frame through that and as that smokestack is falling, there is a really strange artifacting in the compositing. It's I think they you know they've done some fake motion blur on yes. it to, yeah. to hide that the you know, and and it, and there are literally actually like strange uh, like pixelization stair stepping stair stepping yeah. on some shadowing or some things that are going on there. And it, it's not the mastering to Blu-ray or anything like that. It's very clearly like in the actual effect itself. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah. I'm almost surprised that Cameron hasn't fixed that already. And maybe, maybe yeah. he had, maybe he did in the, you know, in this latest <laughs> like. No, I, I noticed that. I noticed that. And there's one other um, compositing thing that I found that I'd never seen before. And again, it's just I think seeing it on such a big screen really yeah. kind of brings that out. But um, when the ship is finally, when the the stern is is vertical and begins to yeah. sink. Um, and I can understand why, because that combination of elements would be so difficult to pull off with the model, the CG, and the fact that they're on a full-sized real and stern. And it's done so um, well, by the and, way. And I mean, it's... If, yeah, the only thing I notice is that if you look at where the boat is is hitting the water, mm. um, 
it's you can see that you can kind of tell that there's just you know these people are, are green screened in beside yeah and it's such yeah. a minor thing that and when the the dolphins this is actually a really ingenious one and that that i don't even think looks bad i just i just it's the first time i realized how they did it yeah. so that shot of the bow and the dolphins uh-huh. You can actually sort of tell if you want, look at it really closely that they shot a real ship and replaced yeah, they did. The, the ship's That's bow what they did. with yep. yeah, which I thought, yep. and I'd never really noticed that before. Yeah, it's um, it's some navy ship. It was a different ship, yeah. and and so the dolphins real, the water's real, but they they switched out the uh, actual yeah. ship. Yep. So yeah, and you can like just it, tell it where the water breaks. You can you just can. barely tell that there's some rotoscoping going on. But, but it's like, so so minor yeah yeah but, it doesn't but look bad people at all. listening it's like we're only like i only pick these things out because they're kind of like fun little pieces of they're fascinating it's, yeah, yeah it's just fascinating it's definitely not me saying you know oh my gosh this you know this Falls ruins apart. the film or oh my gosh this is horrible yeah. no no, well, no i also find it interesting if anything because you can kind of like i love figuring out how these things work and making them tick and if that's course, honestly absolutely. that was the other that's, thing i was going to say about cameron too is that he is such a fascination with machines yeah, like he, yeah. the way that he shoots the 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 engines turning on, yeah, and the they got into a real navy ship that was, I think, I think it was like half scale of what the third, engines on yeah, Titanic I think were. It was so like they a third the size. Yeah, yeah. so they just green screen some people in, and that, yeah. that looks perfect. I it's mean, if beautiful. I didn't know that those people were composite, no, and, then I wouldn't. And wouldn't and be able to and tell. like the the little engineer in me loves all these things too. I, yeah. I I'm actually yeah. so grateful that he pays such attention to detail, to the architecture of the ship, to the structure and design and the mechanics, because it's just fun mm-hmm. to see. But it all it all blends in to create such a really wonderful feeling of being there. And I mean, you know, especially like once the ship hits the iceberg, right? And we are now in this third act of the ship sinking. I mean, it's just riveting. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is one of the greatest third acts in any film I can think of as far as like an action film, you know, disaster film, or frankly, any film. But I mean, you feel so much there. I mean, especially I remember in the theater. And since that experience is fresh for you, I mean... It, it, I mean, the, the, the anxiety, the fear, mm-hmm. the terror of being on a sinking ship. And, and the tragedy, the, you know. The, the claustrophobia. Yeah, yeah, and the people fighting and losing their minds. You know, it's starting to, like, the, the uh, honor and civilization, you know, the civility of the people breaking of down and collapsing as things yeah. get more and more desperate. Well, even I'm, I think it's 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 funny to me to look at the 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 nearer my god to the scene, which was an homage to the earlier, I think it was the 1950s film that mm. kind of did something similar. Um, but the montage that goes along with it was Cameron's invention of showing that as the music plays and the, you know, that is parodied so much these days that I think it's one of those situations where you kind of watch the real thing and, and look at it as a parody unless you kind of take a step back and go like, wait a minute, no, this invented. Now, which section, now which section are you speaking to When the, the band again? begins to play the, the near uh-huh. the, my God to the, on the, okay. and it's like the montage of, you know, there's the old people in bed, there's the mom putting her Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And like there's really the, the woman paintings. who was in like Near Dark and Terminator 2. Yes. Uh, yeah. Jeanette, I forget her. Yeah, she has her children yeah. and so it's, it's kind of this like resignation of yeah, okay. and it's this really sad is, moment yeah. that kind of that breaks up the the chaos because as soon yeah. as that ends, then we get right back into the sinking, yeah. and yeah. Um, and that's that I think is a really really beautiful moment that is again very much designed in every way to tug at your heartstrings to make you sad, but it works sure. like it really does it really really well and really beautifully, and I yeah. think you know is, yeah, is, yeah. 
Yeah, very tragic. I mean, it's extremely well edited. You know, we haven't talked that too much is, about that, yes. but it's yeah. it's uh, it was. I mean, there are three names on the edited by here, yeah. James Cameron being one of them. So I, I I'm not quite sure. You know how those how the division of labor went on this film, mm-hmm. but and um, God, imagine the amount of footage you'd have to like. I was thinking about this too. That there's the shot when Jack and Rose are making their way to the the stern, mm-hmm. right right at the end, and. Um, Jack looks at someone running by him that jumps off the ship, and then it cuts to another shot overhead of those two of two people landing in the water. And I'm like, those were probably taken months apart. Those two sure. shots, and yeah. just imagine the 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 organization and the detail to just have to say, you know, okay, those two shots are going to be connected. Like to, to to have to remember. Oh gosh, what shots the, we've the complexity. Got is- well, oh he my talks, God, it's incredible. He talks a little bit in the commentary track. He's kind of breaking down one of the scenes. I think it was the one where Rose is uh, contemplating jumping off the uh, after the ship mm-hmm. um, in, you know, uh, and Leo saves her, talks her down. I think they shot that, he said, like four or five different locations, like every single angle, every single, you know, is, is a totally different place. So mm-hmm. some of it's green screen, some of it's on the actual model, some of it's, you know, so... I mean, the complexity of putting that film together, I, I can't even fathom the jigsaw that that thing yeah. must have been, you know, yeah. uh, just extraordinary. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit briefly, but the score um, and and how popular that what was the uh, is, was it? So my heart Dion? will go on is the Celine Dion it song. Yeah. Huge song. But there that, you go. Like, it's a very Canadian movie. James Cameron, Celine Dion. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Where's uh, Horner? Horner's a, a U.S. citizen. Though, yeah, right? Horner's American. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was he? He passed was. away. He's in, passed away. Yeah. yeah in yeah. Uh, 2015. But um, but Horner's score. I mean, that and was huge. You it's heard fascinating because Horner and Cameron never wanted to work together after Aliens and then came back together for this and that really rekindled their friendship um and oh and, interesting do you know yeah. any more about how they kind of mended that rift i'm not or? sure i actually i don't know yeah. what i think cameron might have just kind of realized even though they had disagreements that that horner he was a great talent work. and and yeah he needed his talent him. yeah, yeah. but i know I, i've always loved the score for this movie i think that it's it's really great really powerful lots of god that theme i mean that and, theme is just notorious right oh my it's god like, it, yes it's yeah. it's as like you it's might it's up there with jaws or you know yeah uh, some of William's themes, you know, that are mm-hmm. they're just kind of ingrained into popular culture now. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy. You know, Leo obviously went on to be the star that he is. Kate's had an extraordinary career. I don't know where Billy Zane is, but uh, I, I I feel like he's kind of like an unsung hero or kind of like a you know, it's like a thankless job of being such an absolute horrible character oh he's great in it. i yeah. mean he's just yeah. so his character is so miserable I mean, bernard hill i like who plays the captain he i always laugh at him because he uh, plays such a, yeah. a character of such similar similar circumstance in lord of the rings where he's this uh, guy that's in charge of you know saving all these lives and can't essentially and yeah this it's poor guy funny. i think one of his lines in lord of the rings is exactly one of his lines in in titanic actually i think he like says exactly <laughs> so, um, yeah. i know it's like heartbreaking when he's at the wheel when the like oh, heaven's quarters yes. like implode yeah. from the pressure of the water, and he's just like goes down with the ship, you know. Well, speaking of two of unsung actors, that I think that one character that gets so little attention um, is Rose's mother. She is ah, she's yeah. got an amazing performance in this, um, and you know I think perhaps she's overshadowed a little bit by Kathy. Is that Bates. is that Frances Fisher? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, she's great. She's, in it. I she's agree. really like that whole moment. I think one of the really personable moments. Of, of the movie is when she's tying the corset and then uh, 
turns around and say, you know is is in tears about that they're women and that they've got like you know their choices are never yeah. easy you know like that's a really really yeah, fantastic yeah. moment no it's um, a great it's one of the better scenes actually i feel like uh in the film uh when we get because it's one of the few times where uh, the character, like, there aren't caricatures because a mm-hmm. lot of this is kind of caricature, right? Like, Billy Zane is a caricature. He's not, yeah. there's no complexity yeah. to his character. His, like, bodyguard or servant or what that is, is a cartoon character. So many of these uh, are almost all of these characters, frankly, they're just so heightened. They're caricatures. And I know that's part of what, uh, what Cameron wants to do. He wants to make this a, a fairy tale, basically. And so, there's not any complexity to really almost any of these characters, but here's a moment where we actually do see some some nuance and some and some complexity to a character. So mm-hmm. I, I actually really do appreciate that scene, and maybe that's why she stands out her performance so much to you because it's it's one of the rare opportunities where any of these characters actually get to have some nuance. There are some other, but most of the nuance takes place in peripheral characters. You know, like the architect or the designer of the ship. I think he's got some nuance. There are some characters that do, but they're usually like they're peripheral characters. They're not our main characters, and that's I know that's by design. Um, I got okay. So I got a question for you as we like kind of come to the end of our our Titanic episode. That's an hour and thirty five minutes right now, almost. You know. Yes. Um, Okay. So okay, I'm gonna add, and I'm gonna do this in public in front of everyone to the possible the possibility that I'm going to embarrass myself horribly <laughs> but but I just like so my interpretation so and I've never read anything about this I I don't even think I've ever talked to anybody about this I forgot about it till I watched it now my interpretation has always been that Rose dies at the end right doesn't she die yes. in bed so she dies in bed yeah. Okay, so, so Cameron not, says that it's up to interpretation whether you but want is that, to believe but, but that it's she like, died or it's not. But it's impossible not to take that interpretation Yeah, because she back, goes to so, heaven and is in the I know. ship it's, with them. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yet she's like back on the Titanic and, you know, she yeah. gets to like com- like um, fight with her mother for the, all eternity and she gets to like... I. So my only thought is like, does she have to relive the sinking like every night, like over and over, like all these ghosts on that ship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, every night she goes to sleep with a horrible every PTSD night, uh, every, attack. Yeah, yeah I, I know. It's like, she, you know, but uh, okay, because it's funny. I, I was like, uh, surely there's no other way to interpret that. It has to be that she's like, but it's like, that's such a Cameron, you know, it's like, okay, we're just going to hit this as hard as we can, man. She's going to throw the diamond overboard. And <laughs> now that she's like, and now that she's like told her story and she's thrown the diamond to be back with the ship. She's just going to lie in bed and just die as if on cue, you know? <laughs> That's Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I, I think it's it's great, too, because there's a great... I don't know if you've ever seen the deleted scene, the alternate ending. So no, there's an alternate no, ending I don't her think throwing, I have. So she, she walks out. It's, it's identical. She walks out on the end of okay. the, you know, the, the, the stern of the ship yep. and is going to throw the diamond over. But Billy, Z- or Billy Zane, Bill Paxton shows up. B- Billy Zane. His, Billy his, Zane his, showed up. His, he, his, yeah, his, his zombie like, corpse his, comes his out. His zombie corpse jumps up out of the water yeah. and grabs it and says, finally! Yeah, and he's, he's <laughs> yeah, then then he goes into the mummy. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But no, the, the, and Bill Paxton and... Um, I can't remember what her daughter, who is actually James Cameron's wife in real life, eventually, now, uh, um, yeah, 
she they they come back and see her about to throw the thing over and bill paxton tries to convince her to not throw it over and there's this really oh. cheesy moment where he's oh. like no and but she wait. throws it you can find this on youtube it's actually i, very I gotta funny. watch this after that i mean um, I'm sure it's probably it would have totally killed the 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 ending of the movie if they left okay so in. what happens after that so, so, um, bill so paxton then she throws says, it over and she basically gives him a, a short little monologue about like you know What's you, important? You've got to stop. Life? For, yeah, you got to stop pursuing mon- yeah. money and start, you know, living uh, like I did. And Jack taught me this, and says it's like this really over, over the top kind of ending. And then, um, and then it but this ends is where, the I same mean, way. But well, obviously that ending would have been atrocious. But yes, but there's, yeah. but uh, there's this, and I'm not saying that, that the sentiment is not wrong to not follow money. But I will say this: it sure as hell is easy to say that when you have a lot of money. And this is sometimes why, you know, it's like Jim Cameron, one of the most successful people in any industry, in any field ever in the history of anything. The guy's got more money than God, I'm guessing. And so it's sometimes it's hard to, To you know, that those those (laughs) moments sometimes hit a little, you know, I mean, and and I guess I just not that I want to pile on. But but to add to that, I, I think this is where sometimes I have a little it's like Rose. I get that we're we're focusing on the the that you know the message is kind of like well look even at this high socioeconomic status this character is still experiencing this this oppression right that this character still that this person still doesn't have agency even if they are rich mm-hmm. but there is a little you know some of it is like oh my god girl you know it's like you're you've you you've like you you had it like, you had the what, hat he put, you, he put all the money in the coat and the diamond it's like, it's like the hat that you have on your head is worth more than like you know everybody below decks like entire yes. lives you know yeah. I, I there's like this little part of me that's you know i and on the one level it's true i know this to be true that no matter how privileged any of us are are we all life is a struggle for everyone and and it's all relative but sometimes when you're from a position of less uh privilege it's hard to take that so i guess cameron being someone who is maybe one of the most privileged people right now in in the world (laughs) sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like you know money's not everything it's like well (laughs) i sure wouldn't i'd sure love not to have to pay rent (laughs) to somebody who doesn't have any it's a lot it can mean a lot of difference but yeah but i i say this recognizing my own high level of privilege too so i Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so it's just kind of trying to be aware of that. But anyway, it's just kind of interesting, different things that kind of poke out to you about a film and a story yeah. over time when you watch it again. Well, oh my gosh. I, uh, this, I think this is I, our longest I, episode so far. Uh, this is the longest episode in Which the history. Which matches of... the fact that it's Titanic. You know? <laughs> I, I, it's so appropriate. I didn't. I didn't honestly think it was going to go this long. I was like, well, okay, you know. Well, we like... did talk about a lot of things other than Titanic for a while there. So. We did. We did talk about a lot of things other than Titanic for a while. And if you've been listening and you've stuck it out until now, uh, wow, kudos to you. We appreciate mm-hmm. you. Uh, so yeah, uh, everybody out there, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've had a blast talking about it. Cullen, mm-hmm. uh, what an interesting pick. I would have never guessed that you would have picked this movie. I was totally surprised. Just a big Celine Dion fan. I, I know. I, well, <laughs> hey, I get it. You're Canadian. I, yeah. I know. I, you got to stick with you. I, I know. It's this bond that you feel, man. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, I'll have to get, uh, get on to thinking about what my choice is going to be. I have to be hard to follow this one up. So yes, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I'll try, I'll try to find a movie about a really tiny ship like a or yes. just like a, a, a i'll try to i'll tr- I'll tr- no no i <laughs> <laughs> can't <laughs> 
He was never on a ship. He, had a little he was raft in an airplane. End, you know? He he was in an airplane. Well, I guess on a go, raft. I guess. Yeah. He was on a raft. I guess that's true. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what I can dig up. All right. Mm-hmm. Until then, everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good couple of weeks. We'll catch you on the flip side. Yep. Bye bye. <laughs>